Hey, Bible students, my name is Keaton Pierce, and I'm your host here on The Curious Christian. Welcome to the first episode of The Curious Christian Podcast. I am your host, Keaton Pierce. On this podcast, we aim to answer the questions that you might have as a growing Christian or, or even somebody that's Christ- considering Christianity for the first time. The first topic that we're going to tackle in in our series of answering questions that you might have is one that, that I hear a lot of, why do we have so many Bible translations. If you've been a Christian for some time, or if you're considering Christianity, you go into a Christian bookstore, even if you look on Amazon, you will find a host, um, li- literally hundreds in some cases, depending on on how we classify translations, uh, of, of options when you go out and, and you look at, at Bibles for you to read. And it might bring up the question, are they all equal? Is one better than the other? Um, am I reading a, a version that is hindering my growth? Is there something better that I could be using? It's easy to feel overwhelmed. Um, it's not uncommon for us to wonder why there's so many. Why do these all exist? Do they serve different purposes? So today I want to look at a really abbreviated history of why we have so many translations, and then more practically, to, to give you some insight, maybe to give you some suggestions on which one works best for you. Is it a problem within Christianity for us to have so many um, in the sense of, are, are we questioning the canonicity of the Bible? Are we questioning the authenticity of the Bible because there's so many? We'll look at all that together. Dating back all the way to the beginning of, of what we have recorded history for us, people have been translating um, the, the written works and, and, and the, the Old Testament and the New Testament into into different languages. God's people have been translating the Bible for about as long as we've had writings that make up what we call the Bible now. Jewish people translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek so that the Greek-speaking Jews could understand and read some of the Scripture, um, dating all the way and, and really pushing all the way up until we have the modern English Bible. Um, because that's really, there's much more history between when, in the first century, when the Greeks were translating out of Hebrew into Greek. Um, there, there's obviously... Uh, lots of time between then and when we kind of get start looking into the 15th, 16th century, which is kind of the modern translation movement that moves us from some of these ancient um, ancient translations into some version of English. Obviously, if you look back into the original English translations, they're going to sound extremely different uh, than the vernacular that we use today. But they, they are English Bibles, and that's really what I want. The, the only history that we're really going to delve into is of the English Bible. Recognize that there is over a thousand years of history prior to that where translations were still being happening. Um, the, really, the first credited uh, English translation happened in about 1530, and this kind of became the, the de facto go-to English Bible until King James I commissioned another in 1604. It was printed in 1611. If you like Christian history at all, that's, of course, a year that you're very familiar with. The King James, the K, the the KJV, the Bible that, that you may have grown up on, became the kind of the preeminent English Bible for really the next three hundred years, and in some ways remains probably the most widely read English translation today. But the KJV wasn't the only English translation, even at the height of its popularity. From about the nineteenth century until today, multiple English translations have been commissioned and completed. Um, you might have heard of the RSV, the ESV, the NIV. Um, all have translations and their, uh, their their different preferences. They they have different scholarship attached to them. People um, translators that usually 
really by committee. They, they bring together different people and different backgrounds to choose how it's being translated. And there's, of course, a difference between a translation and a transliteration. Translation, of course, is, and there's even different methodology there, but translation is, as best as you can, taking one language and, as it sounds, translating that into another. Um, there, it's not a perfect science. Uh, even amongst the different uh, translations that we have, you'll see some variation. Transliteration is more um, kind of trying to capture the, the general thought. Um, right, wrong, and otherwise, probably the most well-known of these would be the message. Uh, this is a transliteration. This is not trying to literally translate the Bible word for word. It is trying to get the general idea. And, and while that could be helpful in certain circumstances, it certainly um, can provide uh, some challenges as well as we look into this. But you think of the NIV, the NET, the ESV, the RSV, um, and all of these have their place within the, the the world of English translation. So with all that in mind, why do we have so many of them? Probably the most significant reason is that English is a relatively young language, all things considered. It means also, uh, sadly, that it's somewhat fluid. Our vernacular is continually changing. Because of this, we use words, we change them. Uh, the, the meaning of words change as we know it. We always need new English translations to present Scripture to the modern reader. And there's always a tension between how do we maintain the authenticity of Scripture while also making it accessible to a modern context. Different translations use different approaches to kind of reach a shared goal. Um, even though every English translation shares the same goal, meeting that goal isn't always so easy. Translators do work with intention, as we've talked about already, having to choose between uh, staying as literally true to to the original language as possible or making concessions to make it more understandable for a modern reader. Some chose to focus on words, taking what's known as the formal equivalence approach to translation. This means that they attempt to render the words of Scripture into English as accurately as possible, even at the expense of readability. Um, The New American Standard, the NASB, the ESV, the New King James, the King James are probably amongst the most widely read translations like this, using formal equivalency, with interlinear translations probably being the most word-for-word of these. Other op for a thought-for-thought, um, sometimes called fundamental or di- uh, dynamic equivalence method, um, this approach aims to render the meaning of Scripture in English as clearly as possible, even if it does deviate from, from precise wording. Um, the NLT, uh, the GNT, the, the message, again, are among probably the most, widely, wed of, the most ri- widely read of those type of translations. Um, the third group takes a different approach entirely, aiming for a balance between the two, um, accuracy and meaning. Um, this is sometimes called optimal equivalence, and, and this probably easily the most well-known of these would be the NIV, the, the New International Version, um, being probably the most well-read representative of that type. So I guess the biggest practical question is, what is the right translation for you? Does it, does any of this even matter? Um, I think we've identified that it matters. It's important what we're reading, but but what, what do we do with it, right? What What is the right translation for us? There's so many available. It's easy to be overwhelmed by this. Um, the short answer in choosing the right translation is to choose one that, that works best for you. And I always suggest people use somewhat of a hybrid approach to this. Because we want to, Scripture tells us not to add or take away from Scripture, meaning that we have to understand what the, as close as we can, what the original language, and most of us are not Greek and Hebrew scholars, so 
um, we're relying on translators to help us with this. So my recommendation for most readers is to start with a more literal translation. Um, I use the ESV personally, international, the English Standard Version. Um, the scholarship of that is great. Um, it is very easy to read for the, for the modern reader. Uh, but there are still passages, even within the ESV, that are tough for, for us to understand. That's when I suggest sometimes we have additional um, additional versions around that, that might provide a little easier time for us to understand, as long as we always reference back to as close to um, the original language as we possibly can be. Um, if your primary focus is in-depth study, especially if we're kind of focusing on academic study, then we're probably going to opt for a translation that's more word-for-word word into the spectrum. Um, you, you might even go as far back as the New King James, and, and, and there's going to be some advantages there. For those of us that are mainly focusing on teaching, personal study, um, the optimal realm is going to be something like, again, the, the ESV, the, even the NIV um, is, is a good option for many. Uh, if you're developing and, and really trying to just read through the Bible, you, you you have a more literal translation, but you just want to read through it perhaps a little bit easier, then something like perhaps a um, ERV, an NLT, something that is a little more thought for thought might be a little easier to read. Um, I would I would always encourage us when we do get into the thought for thought spectrum that we reference it back to the original language as best as we possibly can so that we're always making sure that we stay true to, to what Scripture points us out, points out for us. Different translations really can work together. Um, and that's like I said, I, I like a hybrid approach here where we're taking multiple translations and, and pointing them in the direction of, of us growing together. Ultimately, the desire for us as students is to, to find the, the, the translation that's going to encourage us to read most regularly, um, and I want to encourage you to really dive into that as you find that translation that works best, find a couple that you like, and really study God's Word together. We're so thankful you joined us today. If you haven't already, make sure you like and subscribe to The Curious Christian on all your favorite podcasting sites so that you don't miss an episode. If you want to find out more information, more resources, head on over to CuriousChristian.net where we have all of our resources together, video content, podcasting content, and the like. We hope that you'll join us on our next episode. And in the meantime, stay curious.